0: this is reset i'm sasha ann simons it is friday and that means it's time to look back at the last few days and the top local stories that you should know but you might have missed sit back for our weekly news recap
1: With the Democratic National Convention just over a year away, the city is making sure things run smoothly.
2: Chicago's strong labor ties played a big part in landing next summer's Democratic National Convention. And now, a new deal all but guarantees no one will be walking the picket line during the event.
0: A triple weather whammy. You've got the heat, you've got the haze, and you've got the air quality. And Cook County government leaders say their estimated budget gap for next year is set to nearly double. A lot of stories to get to today, and we cannot do it alone. So, we've got some news hounds here in the studio to help us out. Joining me now to go behind the headlines WBEZ Senior Editor for Politics and Government, Angela Rosa
3: O'Toole. Hello. Hello.
0: Also here, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC 5 Chicago. Good to have you back, Christian. Thanks, Sasha. And John Chase, Deputy Metro Editor for the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back, John. Thanks for having me. If you want to chime in on any of these stories, just send us a tweet at WBEZ Reset or you can send an email to reset at wbez.org. All right, John, I want to start with the bad news. Get that <laughs> out the way right at the top. And I'm looking at you, Cook County officials. They shared disappointing numbers. What did we learn about the budget?
2: Yeah, so, well, the county budget, It's um, the deficit is doubling. Um, dun, and dun, so, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess the good news in all of this is, at least for now, uh, Tony Parkwinkle, the Cook County Board President, um, and others are saying that there will not be a tax hike uh, that will be needed or fee hikes. Um, this is all built in because they are going to be paying the 19,000 employees of uh, various Cook County governments mm-hmm. more money. Um, we were talking a little bit, heard a little bit more about the unions. A lot of these unions are obviously represent the, um, the employees in Cook County, we've got a lot of union friendly uh, elected officials and they are giving a lot yeah. of raises out to these union employees sounds like a pretty
0: difficult situation though for the, for the county
2: yeah i mean well they're they're they've been uh on a progressive uh way in terms of uh balancing the budget mm-hmm. so this is like the 86 million that was initially um uh, expected was, like, super low. Yeah. So the fact that it's 170 is not good news, but it's also not the worst news that we've seen, especially in the last decade, I would say, Yeah. Uh, on the county side. Yes.
1: We've, we've also seen, too, you know, just coming out of these hearings this past week, um you know, a, a big emphasis, too, was on hiring. So despite these pay raises that everybody's getting, you know, one of the interesting things I think that came out of the Cook County hearings last week was this increased need. We keep hearing about this need to hire more. So almost all the agencies we heard from last week – I'm sorry,
0: that's this week. And this, this week. There's just week. been that much news, Angela. Right. Uh, this
1: week we're basically saying, you know, we have to hire more people. So it's it's, you know, it's a big number – but as, as John just said, it's still smaller than what we've seen in terms of deficits in past years
2: yep. and still some needs to, to hire more people. Right. And post-pandemic is a big yeah. reason for that need for hiring more people. We've lost a lot of employees because of the pandemic all across, especially in government uh, agencies. So some disturbing
0: uh, record-breaking data, Angela, from the county medical examiner this week. What are the details on that?
1: Yeah, that this is a, a disturbing trend. We have, we've definitely seen an increase. We had some new numbers from the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office this week of an increase in opioid deaths, um, so overdoses, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hit about 2,000 deaths for last year. Um, you know, the way that ME's reports happen, it takes some time for information to come back. So there's often a lag. That's why we're in July and we're getting sort of tallies for last year. Um, and and it's an increase uh, year over year. The number has been increasing since about 2018. Um we saw some of this being attributed um, to the pandemic itself. Yeah. Increase in depression, increase of isolation. This is a nationwide trend. This isn't isolated to Cook County, we'll say.
0: And it's fentanyl that's that's the cause of the majority of these deaths. Absolutely.
1: Right? About 91 percent of the deaths that the county logged, they found evidence of fentanyl, uh, which is a very powerful drug and a lot of... Um, drug users are seeing this pop up in heroin for example so mm-hmm. it's a way that street dealers can make a drug more powerful yeah. but it has a, a highly increased risk for overdoses and we were seeing that increase for the county um you know a lot of these deaths too um are in the 50 to 60 year old age range and there's really? also a disproportionate number of black males um dying of these overdoses as well hmm.
3: yeah that's a huge problem i've covered it on the west side and uh, there's a lot of activity to try and get test kits out there because fentanyl can take you out in a minute Mm -hmm. and people are taking drugs and don't even know that fentanyl is in it.
0: Yeah 91 percent of the deaths involve uh, fentanyl.
2: Yeah it's I mean it is as uh, Angela mentioned this is a national crisis. I think it's becoming more noticeable here in Chicago and Cook County um, the last few years since the pandemic like before you would read about this and like Ohio and Kentucky, and, and you'd be like, oh, geez, that's, you know, it's obviously terrible there, too. But now we're really seeing it really spike to home. here. Yep, absolutely.
0: Christian, we also had news this week that a retired Illinois National Guard member has been charged with assaulting police during the January 6th riots. What are the details of that?
3: Yeah, the FBI has identified, I believe, and if I'm going to mispronounce his name, I apologize, but William Briarbrot, uh, and he lives in Sheridan, LaSalle County, and uh, he was there on January 6th, Along with his brother, now has been charged with assaulting a Capitol police officer, um, and I believe he was in a wheelchair. Uh, and so he, they have video of him uh, breaking a window, reaching and opening that door, confronting uh, Capitol police, and then um, and then assaulting one of those police officers as well. Um, he was in the National Guard, but has been out for uh, a period of time, uh, retired, I believe, back in uh twenty eighteen. Um and one of the interesting things I think about the posts that were put out by him is he was saying all Obama cronies should be taken, tied to a stack, shot in the head, and wow. adds, it's time for a revolution French style. Wow. Um, which is just interesting since the French Revolution was inspired by the American Revolution, but I don't know my history. Who what do I know? Um, <laughs> what do you know?
1: <laughs> what you know I what I find fascinating Christian is is the continued here we are years later and the continued arrest of individuals associated with this you know including in Illinois we've gotten a number of arrests right. we've got convictions and part of this is this facial recognition technology being able to go and find people I mean I just think it's fascinating that the that the government law enforcement continues to track down individuals related to the riot that we are now getting ready for a next election. Right.
2: It just reminds happen. you of how many people were involved in that thing.
3: Mm, right. Yeah. And it hasn't and come how, off the headlines yet.
2: And how televised and on social media it was that they get all the – pretty much everybody's picture was taken at some point. I mean, that's they the world we, we live in. to go in. on the gram. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
3: I mean, that's the world we live in. Right. There's cameras all over the place, so yeah. you should expect to be captured on one of those cameras. So.
0: Exactly. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with the Chicago Tribune's John Chase, NBC. C5 Chicago's Christian Farr and WBEZ's Angela Rosa O'Toole. Remember that you can chime in on the stories as well. Send us a tweet at WBEZ Reset, or you can send an email to reset at WBEZ.org, and I just might share your comments on the air. So the heat wave... Did you feel that outside before you walked in, folks? Just a little bit. Yeah, it's making life a little tough for for people in this region today. You know, uh, many residents are also, though, they're still dealing with damage from those recent floodings, Christian. I know that you've been covering this and you've been talking to folks. What's the latest?
3: Yeah, there was um, a tour that was done by FEMA, also the Illinois uh, Emergency Management Agency. And uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson was out the other day in uh, the Austin neighborhood where they had a significant amount of damage. Now, if you walk down the street, you really won't see anything. But a lot of this damage was in their basements and people haven't even been able to live in their homes because they've lost water heaters. In some cases, they lost air conditioning. So you're living in a hot house during this, during this heat wave. So he toured wow. the area with representatives from those agencies. And there's a process that you have to go through because I believe at this point nothing has yet been approved. But FEMA uh, representatives were there. Um, They said there's a, a process that they have to go through to look at that damage. Looks like a majority of that happened in Cicero where they've been complaining um, that there needs to be something done with the Water Reclamation District. So that's a whole nother story that's kind of been going on with them uh, for weeks. And um, and we had a lot of rain, uh, you know, that, that, that weekend going we in, did. you know, that July 4th uh, weekend. That it, NASCAR weekend. NASCAR got held up uh, because of that. So, you know, people are living in their living rooms. Um, you know, people are living without the essentials to take care of yourself. And, you know, Austin is not a rich community. It's a poor community that... You know, it's riddled by crime, uh, poverty, um, you know, lack of resources. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, Mayor Mayor Brandon Johnson, that's where he comes from, the west side. And he's given a commitment to really help all those communities that have been underserved. So we'll see what happens if uh, we get some federal aid because um, it's going to be individual aid. You'll have to apply for that, I believe, individually. So it won't be something that's blanketed. But, you mm. know, it's been nearly a month now when people are still living in these conditions.
0: Goodness! Here's another housing story. Governor Pritzker signed the Home Illinois Bill this week. It's aimed at reducing homelessness. I want to play a little bit of what he had to say at the bill's signing.
1: Today we recommit ourselves with the force of this new law to a future where every Illinoisan, no matter what their circumstances were, has a safe place to call home.
0: I found this interesting, Angela. It says that the goal of this bill is to achieve, quote, functional zero homelessness by 2025. What does that mean? Hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a lofty goal indeed, um, trying to equalize sort of the number of individuals who are homeless um, and comparable to what we can provide um, to to house them. And part of this, it, it, it um, stems from an executive order that the governor signed um, a few years ago, trying to bring together all these different agencies for a common goal of sort of attacking homelessness. It's you know it's a big it's a big uh, uh, stretch. It's a stretch goal, if oh, yeah. you will. And um, when we're looking at you know like um, thousands of homeless individuals uh, on the streets every night, and um, we're you know, the governor through this um, through through this passage is codifying this sort of effort. And it's, part of it is about how much money they're going to send toward homelessness, um, so they've talked about um, the budget includes like 350 million dollars for example for homelessness Mm -hmm. services which is an increase of nearly 90 million dollars over the previous year Mm -hmm. Um, and the things they're looking at doing is sort of what they call rapid rehousing services quickly bringing people um, from shelters into um, more permanent spaces and developing supportive housing units and long-term rental assistance case
0: management it's a major problem it's a huge problem Um, um, and, and the know, governor says that, you know, by 2025, the, the overall goal here is that more people should be finding housing instead of becoming homeless. Correct.
1: Right. So it's not necessarily that we're going to have zero homeless people, which I think is, everybody would agree, it's maybe an, an impossible goal, but it's about equalizing, making sure we have enough resources to, to take care of people as they become homeless.
3: Yeah, because I know just talking to people on the streets sometimes who live on the street, yeah. some of them want to live there. You know, they they don't want to have a home. They want to wander. And, yeah. you know, it's. I think that's something that, you know, to zero is just, you know, not achievable, but hopefully you can get something close because there are people who do not need to be on the street and don't want to be on the street.
1: Mm. I mean, a lot place. of that, the Christian, being tied to mental health issues, right? Very and, true. And this is, this is a huge issue for the state of Illinois right now as well, for Cook County, for Chicago. Yeah. Where are the mental health resources to support people? Um, everybody from you know youth to the you know to the homeless,
0: right? And, and we'll we'll dive into some some more of that uh, later in the program as well. I want to get to another related uh, story where activists for the homeless they're they're protesting. They went they were at City Hall protesting for an increase to the real estate transfer tax. John, what is the Bring Chicago Home campaign about? Remind us.
2: Yeah, well, it's very much right off of what we're talking about. um it is. It was an effort. Actually, Lori Lightfoot had pushed for it and wasn't successful. Essentially, it's going to raise um, what they, what supporters call the mansion tax. This is a real estate transfer tax, which now is about three dollars and I think twenty five cents for every five hundred dollars of uh, the the value of your property. Mm-hmm. They want to boost that or increase that to like thirteen dollars per five hundred dollars so it will massively increase if you for for uh homes that are a million dollars or more only for homes for a million dollars or more so uh there's been a lot of debate about this they're talking about apartment buildings too like hey are those apartment buildings gonna be included in this we just took on this talking about single family homes so there's still a lot of debate and and uh and uh Discussion that needs yeah. to happen on this. Essentially, wants to raise 160 million in the first year, and it's all supposed to go for support services for and mostly for homeless homelessness. This is something that uh, Brandon Johnson has really picked up on, and he's got more support now than Lori Lightfoot did and the City Council. At least for now, we'll see how that plays yeah. out. But he certainly has more uh, progressive aldermen to work with, and they're pushing for this. And what's going to happen is they want to put this on. Your ballot in March of 2024. So while you're voting for uh, Joe Biden or, or 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 for the Republican nominee, um, this might be in the city of Chicago a referendum. Uh, should this should this happen? Because really, the only way to increase this is uh, through the Illinois General Assembly or through uh, a city referendum.
1: Po- point of clarification here, John, my colleague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when we're talking about this increase, it's properties though, right? So it could be yes. commercial businesses as well, right?
2: it could It could be. That's one I mean, of these things. I mean, it's a proposal where, right, right now.
1: Nobody really knows. Exactly. But like, Which would affect far more. There are far more commercial properties that are worth oh, of course. a million
2: right. and more. Right. So, so when it gets sold as yeah. by supporters as a mansion tax, it's like, oh yeah, it checks the rich and a lot of people mm-hmm. are supportive of it. Then we start digging into the details. That's that. your point. Commercial properties is, is one. And also, like I mentioned before, apartment building. Where there is, or there might actually be, affordable apartments within the apartment complex, you've got a six flat, a you know a thirty-two flat, whatever, a, a, a apartment building, which is has affordable housing. It's certainly going to sell for more than a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Those people, are those landlords, going to get hit with this tax hike as well? That is a major question. All right, let's switch gears, Angela. Let's look briefly into one more piece of
0: legislation that the governor signed into law this week. I'm talking about the crisis pregnancy centers. They're now going to face penalties for giving out misinformation or engaging in deceptive practices. So what should we know about this?
1: Yeah, this is um, this was passed by the legislature in the spring. Um, you know, Illinois is further cementing itself as an uh, abortion Open state. Um, part of this is to protect individuals from deceptive practices. For example, um, some of the examples that the governor's office and others have given is if someone is going to look for a, a, a clinic to provide abortions, um, it looks up a place or goes toward you know a location and, and 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 is steered to a different clinic, one in which they would go through the, start to go through the process of mm-hmm. believing that they're getting an ultrasound or they're getting this, and it turns out it's actually a crisis um, intervention place on um, their allegations that 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 has happened in Illinois. Um, Those who oppose abortion say that they are very open and upfront about what they do. Um, But in any case, if they are found by the, this is a a potential fine from the attorney general's office. You could file a complaint. They face a $50,000 fine. If they found to use deceptive practices to try to draw people in or fool them into thinking that they're in an abortion clinic. And again, this is about um, the the governor In no surprise signed this because he's made it very clear that he supports um, Um, The right to abortion in Illinois. And, um, you know, there's already been a lawsuit filed Mm -hmm. um, in opposition to this law um, from the Thomas More Society. They're arguing this infringes on their First Amendment rights to give information um, that are that draw out alternatives to abortion so we could see this law going through the courts. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, before we break, Christian, a quick update uh, on preparations underway for next year's Democratic National Convention in this city. I know that labor unions, they signed an agreement promising that they will not strike during the four-day convention. This is this a big deal or is it more of a formality?
3: I, I think it's a big deal. Um, I mean, you know, it's this kumbaya moment. You've got a labor peace agreement uh, reinforcing, you know, the Democrats' longstanding ties to organized labor. Everybody's kind of celebrating that we support organized labor. So the deal means that during the DNC, uh, the union labor will be uh, used and will be available and all unions will not strike during that four-day uh, convention. You know, we had... Uh, a strike for workers at the United Center, a proposed strike for union union workers at the United Center ahead of some big events that were going to be happening there. So, you know, you don't want to have something happening during the DNC. Plus, you know, it's we're supporting labor in this. So they didn't release any of the details. um, But of course, this is going to happen during that August 19th uh, to the 22nd um, event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, up the street, we're going to have the RNC as well in Milwaukee. So it's going to be a very busy summer here in Chicago so be a um, busy weekend
0: yeah. and when I won't be in the city uh, that is NBC 5 <laughs> Chicago reporter Christian Farr WBEZ senior editor Angela Rosa O'Toole and the Chicago Tribune's John Chase they're gonna stick around we hope that you will too because there's more news I'm Sasha Ann Simons and we're back now with more reset and more of our weekly news recap all right let's jump back into the news
3: Neighbors in Edgewater are protesting the city's process for deciding to use a community park district facility to shelter asylum seekers. The
1: process here has been a disaster, that the community has been excluded, that we have waited patiently for a conversation with the administration. There's an effort underway in Chicago to add mental health professionals to emergency situations.
3: A policy called Treatment Not Trauma that puts mental health clinicians on the front lines, sometimes with officers, sometimes not.
0: Our panel today, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago, WBEZ senior editor for politics and government, Angela Rosa O'Toole, and John Chase, deputy metro editor for the Chicago Tribune. Now, remember, if you've got thoughts about the stories that we're covering today, send us a tweet. We're at WBEZ Reset. You can also send an email to reset at WBEZ.org. And I just might share your comments on the air. All right, a pledge, a campaign pledge that Mayor Brandon Johnson Made to reopen those mental health clinics and and provide non police responses to mental health emergencies. all of that got a lot of attention this week. Angela, can you fill us in yeah it's a, it happened in a seri- it happened in a series
1: of hearings um this week um, Mayor Brandon Johnson is certainly launching some of his As you said, campaign promises, starting with Treatment Not Trauma. So it's a a catchy name. It's about providing uh, mental health experts to respond to mental health crises instead of police. This is a part of Johnson's plan to try to remove some of not only the challenges that police are facing, trying to manage health crisis moments, but also widen the scope of who could respond, getting people who are professional responders to do this. We had some um, sort of subject matter hearings, if you will. On this um, idea earlier this week. And at it, one of the health department officials talked about the, you know, the number of calls that they've done a pilot program of, of teams of mental health professionals going out and responding to it. And that um that, that person, that staffer who was talking about it, was talking about how I, I want to throw out a number, like a thousand calls that they responded to. Nobody was arrested and nobody was harmed. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about this as evidence that this kind of programming works. Ultimately, i I also remember the staff were talking about, hey, this isn't my decision. However, this has to be the administration and, and police's decision about how to go forward with a program like this. But, um, sort of talked about the benefits as they see it of a program like this expanding across the city as a part of Johnson's efforts to address mental health, um, needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the clinics is a big part of it, um, as well. But the focus this, uh, this past week was definitely on these sort of crisis teams.
0: Well, uh, Northwestern University Physician Eric Reinhardt was on Reset this week. He was talking about the, the Treatment Not Trauma Community Safety Ordinance. Here's a little bit of what he had to say.
3: Somebody who calls for help should be able to get the kind of help that they need. They did not need an armed police response. They needed somebody who could respond
0: to somebody in a mental health crisis, de-escalate the situation, somebody who is trusted, not somebody who you open a door and find they have a gun drawn and you feel threatened by them. That's not helpful in these scenarios. What else can you share, John, about this ordinance and and this initiative?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it is still in its, I don't want to say infancy, but definitely early on, as Angela uh, pointed out, these were subject matter hearings on the city council. This was something that I think, you know, Mayor Johnson, as he Uh, Pivots from the defund the police, you know some of that, which can be very polarizing. This is a little less polarizing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some police, uh, you know, embrace these this idea, especially you know if it's uh, if it doesn't take funding away from CPD. So we'll see how this evolves. Um, It, but it is a cornerstone uh, of his campaign and of his first term of his administration. It also, you know, as we're entering budget season. Um, is going to be something we're going to have to look for to see how much yeah. of that gets into his budget, and how much of it, you know, is really then uh, yeah, follow is follow yeah. how, the follow through. Right.
0: That's a great point. I mean, the mayor says he would pass treatment, not trauma. But I mean, do you think that he and city council members will actually do it?
2: Um. I mean, like I said earlier, he does have more support on the city council. He's yeah. got a lot more, um, you know, progressive aldermen who got elected this this um, in the runoff. So. Um, I think there's definitely uh, a a sense that at least some, you know, there's going to be some movement toward it. Maybe it starts as, you know, uh, robust pilot projects, things like that, as opposed to, you know, a full swing. You're not going to see that, but you are going to see some movement on that front. (laughs) Do you think that uh, this
0: treatment, not trauma strategy could significantly change what policing looks like in Chicago?
3: I think so. I mean, um, I I did a story. I don't know if it was last year with Skokie police where they have um, an an actual team of individuals who it's one police officer, one social worker, and they go out and respond to these situations. And, you know, where a police response might be like 10 minutes because we're going to throw you in the back of the car and take you to jail. This response might be two hours because you're trying to talk that person down. But then you end up getting the help that they need. So there's an effort to do that. You know, Chicago police have uh, the, the part, department has that pilot as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's a different way of doing things. And a lot of major cities are doing that instead of, you know, throwing somebody in cups where we've seen people, you know, be severely injured by officers or die.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, let's stick with you here, Christian, because uh, nearly a thousand migrants are still sleeping on the floor of police stations across the city. Last week, Mayor Brandon Johnson vowed to move them into shelters ASAP. What's the latest?
3: Well, you know, so uh, city council on Wednesday, um, some city council members were talking about there being no rule of law at these shelters, which is sort of the big issue that is going on. They're saying that crime is happening outside of those shelters. And um, one of the really vocal people in all of this was Jeanette Taylor in the 20th Ward and Woodlawn. Um, and she actually voted to approve that $51 million um, that I believe runs out at the end of this month because it didn't last that long. Right. But, um, you know, she had some migrants coming into, into Woodlawn into an abandoned school. Um, and a lot of her constituents pushed back on that. They didn't want migrants there. But now the big issue is there's crime happening there and there's really no response to it. Um, Alderman Brandon, Brendan Riley, 42nd Ward, Struderville, two completely different, you know, socioeconomic places – says he's got the same problem as well. So they were hoping to have some sort of special city council meeting to address how we can... Uh, handle this in terms of the crime that happens in front of those uh, shelters because it is causing many residents to be against migrants coming here. Mm-hmm. You know, since August, we've had, what, nearly 12,000 migrants brought here to the city of Chicago. Yep. And it's really a stress and strain on the resources in the city. And you can't even take care of, we were talking about the homeless problem. We've got that problem as well. Where does all of that money come from? We're still you-
0: getting new people every right. day. Every day. Every day. Uh, city officials announced a plan to let nonprofits operate some migrant shelters. John how is that going to work and and do you have any idea how they'll choose which nonprofits to
2: work with Well they're asking they're asking the nonprofits to sort of start to apply okay. and um like and step so, up volunteer Yeah right and and the nonprofits want to get involved in this um and so we you know we're going to see this is this is early on um again in this I, I think this is um I think you know compared to a year ago where it was Literally day by day. I do think there's been more planning that's been going on. Uh, Brandon Johnson was able to, you know, there was, there was a big runway before he took over. So I think, you know, his administration is trying to take a little bit more of a holistic approach as opposed to the Band-Aid approach. And that that's not necessarily a slam on Lightfoot. It's just sort of what the situation was. Mm-hmm. Um but what I would say is, you know, this nonprofits is another possible tool uh, to have the nonprofit, uh, and because the City of Chicago doesn't want to take on this responsibility day in and day out, that's not, you know, that's not what the City of Chicago is built for. So we'll, but we'll see. They have to do vetting of these nonprofits. They have to uh, understand like where they're coming from. They have to make sure the funding's appropriate. They have to oversee the security. I mean, there's a lot of questions about how this would actually get implemented, which is not something you can do overnight.
1: I want to piggyback on what you were saying there, John, because I think we've also seen in just the last couple of weeks some changes. in, and you know he's appointed a deputy mayor for immigration. Right. Mm-hmm. We have this committee for refugees um, and immigrants that has been in existence for several years, but never met. we um, right. good reporting that we've seen from some of our sister orgs in town. Right. Um, and now and now they are meeting under you know Johnson uh, put a new head for that organiz- for that committee. So you know to John's point there. There, there, he's had a little more runway, but he's also taking, it appears, a little more responsibility at this moment for mm-hmm. what is really going to be a major issue for him for the next several years, Absolutely. for Chicago, yeah. for all of us.
0: Yeah, Chicago just designated its 15th emergency shelter for migrants. What can you tell us, Angela, about this Rogers Park Motel and, and how the surrounding community is responding to that?
1: Yeah, so this is, uh, it's a Super 8. Uh, Over on Sheridan Road, um, they can house, you know, a few hundred arrivals in the coming weeks. It's um, becoming a a migrant shelter. Alderman Haddon, the 49th, is uh, is supportive of this. Um, They've got private rooms, individual bathrooms. They signed a contract for this through the end of this year. Um, Don't know how much it costs. I don't think they were able to provide that to reporters who asked but it 's a part of as you were you know as we 're discussing this expansion of of sites to house migrants mm-hmm. when we 're looking at um, you know more than as Christian said, nearly twelve thousand migrants have arrived since last year so I think um, there's there 's more than a dozen um, city sites, including colleges and mm-hmm. schools and churches, all serving as these temporary shelters um, as, as the city continues to try to figure out more um, permanent ways to deal with it. But I I think it's interesting that that the city and organizations are looking at these sort of former inns and sort of motels that haven't really gotten... We saw a lot of this during the pandemic where... Hotels and motels that weren't getting any service became places for people yeah. to stay when they had COVID for for health workers. And now, you know, to be thinking about the housing stock, the business stock in our city as potential places for um, expansion of, of city services. You've already got a, a room. You've got a shower. Um, you know, so it seems like this is a, a smart way, at least it's, in
0: the interim, yeah, to, to place definitely sure. seems like a good uh, temporary solution. Uh, in nearby Edgewater, residents yesterday were protesting the city's decision to use the Broadway Armory as another temporary shelter. In large part, they said that because the building hosts community programs and uh, a summer day camp and a senior center... All of which, you know, would either have to be suspended or moved. Um, We're just we're seeing a theme here. Christian, I know you talked with activists who protested outside of the Office of Emergency Management. Uh, They were talking about the lack of help that asylum seekers are are getting. And I I think the theme we're seeing, communities just want to be part of the conversation.
3: Yeah, I mean, this was an organization that calls themselves the police station response team they 're not associated with the police department or the city of chicago it 's a group of volunteers who live in those communities near those police stations and bring blankets, bring food and they 're saying and they they actually protested in front of a conference at the Hyatt that OEMC was holding for Homeland Security. And what they're upset about is they think that uh, OEMC should be doing much more for these migrants. They don't think that they're doing enough, have made contracts with uh, certain organizations that are just taking the money and then not providing food, not providing uh, other resources that they're supposed to within a contract that they have Uh, with um, OEMC um, and they say they're the ones these volunteers, they're the ones who are feeding all of these individuals making certain that they get three squares a day and have bedding and things of that nature OEMC in response to that said um, look, we have a partnership with the food depository They provide meals that we um, that they provide transport for those meals as well. Mm -hmm. They said there was a lull at one point, um, uh, but they have restarted that back up, not just with the food depository, but other nonprofits that they're working with. So they said we are doing the best that we possibly can to take care. Um, of these migrants, but of course, we talked about the nonprofits possibly stepping in and helping out. I mean, this is a big issue. It is. It's like everybody's got to get involved to try and help out.
2: Well, yeah. it keeps on just to piggyback on that real quick. It just keeps on like sort of moving around too. It's like you, you solve, you think you solve or partly solve mm-hmm. one problem, and then it opens up a new problem somewhere else. The you know the Broadway um, armory issue was you know it it happens what a month and a half after uh, Wright Junior College, you know where that was. A controversial thing. Okay, let's let's put migrants here. This will be a good place. And now and then, a lot of people in that neighborhood were opposed to That's that. Right. And now you're you're looking at it, the Broadway Armory, and it just keeps on moving. Well, around, I wanted around. to chat with you about. It. I mean, because
0: to your point, as the city is trying to cope with this influx of migrants, we're seeing a lot of communities with this "nimby, not yeah. in my backyard" attitude. Um, Alders, some of them are. They're calling for a special meeting about the housing strategy. What can you share on that?
2: Chart? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're. Yeah, I think the NIMBY issue is something you're going to keep seeing. Okay. Um, no <laughs> solution for that? No, no. They'll, I think to your point about like wanting communities wanting to be heard, this is Alderman wanting to be heard. This is this is all, you know, and as the mayor and the Alderman who, you know, he's getting along with better than, than Lori Lightfoot did – this is one tension point, though, because because it keeps on moving around from neighborhood to neighborhood, ward to ward. The aldermen want to have a say; they want to be able to say, "Okay, yes or no." Now, a lot of times, the aldermen just end up saying no because mm-hmm. they don't want something that they envision or that their uh, their constituents envision is going to be a problem. But it's got, but it does have to go somewhere, and so you know, we'll see how these uh, how these hearings. Happen.
1: I mean, it's a conflict between are The citizens who live here now, mm-hmm. and the citizens, uh, the people who and want to come the start here, start of
2: this. Yes, and yeah. you
1: and you're going to keep seeing that, and that. I mean, that is as old as America itself. Right. And you've got aldermen who are speaking up for their current residents, the people who are right. going to elect them, yeah. the people they feel responsible for, people who you know. They they feel like in some cases don't have enough services to begin with. And now we're adding on top of it an entire layer. And that's where they start to talk about the federal response and the state response. Right. How much more money, how much more help can we get yeah. for the city of Chicago as we, you know, continue to identify ourselves as a sanctuary city. That was what Jeanette
2: Taylor was Absolutely. literally just talking about. Yeah. She was like, You have the DNC people here. This week did you bring it up with Joe Biden's people? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. Why not? And, oh boy. it's a legitimate question.
3: And and they put them in a, you know, an old school in Woodlawn right. and she was upset about that yep. when yes. that happened I and they they're like, we've got violence in this city. Young people are a, a part of that, especially you got young black men, young black women who are impacted by that. They're looking for community centers. And those schools, those schools that, you know, Marrama Emanuel shut down could have been community centers, but now you are putting migrants in there, and that's upsetting people in the community. This has everybody
0: fired up. And believe it or not, there is more news for us to get to. So we're going to be right back with the Chicago Tribune's John Chase, NBC5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr, and WBEZ senior editor Angela Rosa O'Toole. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just joining us, it's our weekly news recap. We've been getting updates about efforts to help asylum seekers of still arriving here in Chicago, but there's much more news to cover. With me are three world-class local journalists: Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago, WBEZ Senior Editor for Politics and Government, Angela Rosa O'Toole, and John Chase, Deputy Metro Editor for the Chicago Tribune. And there's still time for you to chime in on the stories, just send us a tweet at WBEZ Reset. All right, the allegations and lawsuits against Northwestern University and its athletics program,
2: they keep coming, John. What's the latest? Yeah, they do keep coming. Um, So we have obviously most of the focus has been on the football team, and um, that's been significant. There's, I think, four lawsuits that are related to the football team. um, I think five now. Is it five? Uh, I spoke to a couple of attorneys on the show yesterday. It's tough tough to keep up. up. Well, they
0: gave us the breaking news here on Reset that they had just –
2: worked on the the fifth filing Got it. Okay. Well, there you go. News. News I can use. Yes. Um, and now, but we do have something that's related to the now the volleyball team. So this is expanding to a cultural issue uh, within the athletic department at Northwestern. Um, in this case, it's a volleyball player. She identifies herself as Jane Doe, and she said she was physically harmed to the point of requiring medical attention during a hazing incident in early 2021. She essentially got COVID. She said she um, uh, during that year. Uh, was obeying all the guidelines and whatever, but um, she was punished for it by her coach and by some of the assistant coaches, and you know made to do uh, essentially exercises extreme, you know, uh, extreme training um, that caused her to 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 be to become injured. Mm-hmm. And she was also said she felt isolated, which is part of sort of the, the hazing culture that we keep on hearing about in all of these different lawsuits. You know these things are. It it does point to the uh, you know to the athletic director. Who was down in? I think it was Indianapolis for a Big Ten Day. Um, you know, he has a book out there where he raised some questions, uh, where questions are raised about some of the comments he's made about women. So a lot of the focus has been on him, um, and so we'll see how you know he still mm-hmm. has gotten the support of the president. So, but uh, we will see sort of uh, yeah. What this his this situation story is. just keeps yeah.
0: on keeps on going. What's what's the latest question on how it's going to impact? Northwestern's plans to build a new stadium
3: I because mean, it, that's com- still a thing. I mean, it's still a thing, but now you're getting a whole lot of pushback. And so in Wilmette, you have the village board um, that's going to come up on a vote uh, about objecting to Ryan Field. And, of course, if you know the geography up there, Wilmette's right on the border of Evanston. So you've got a lot of Wilmette residents who are pretty much upset Um, that this is going to go forward because um, they're used to just having football games. um, And, of course, that's, what, nine Mm -hmm. football games that happen. And so nothing else really happens at the stadium. Uh, But now you're trying to turn that into an entertainment complex, $800 million to do that. And so you're going to have a lot more going on, concerts, things of that nature. So um, a lot of residents uh, in Wilmette were at a meeting and they're asking that board to um, vote and go against The continuation of this stadium, um, the eight hundred million dollars that we're going to the stadium, and um, they, uh, the village board says they understand the concerns. They're going to bring it up, um, and they're going to vote next month. They're going to vote next month. They're in conversations with Evanston's mayor Daniel Biss. They're also talking to the alder people there as well. So you know, this just goes along with some faculty members who, right after that hazing and and the firing of the head coach. Uh, Came out. They said halt the stadium as well, and then that added even more faculty members to that as well. So, you know, I don't know if we're going to be seeing that stadium coming in anytime soon. Now that they're dealing with not just hazing with the football team, but you got baseball, you've got uh, field hot women's field hockey, you got volleyball, volleyball. There was hazing, I believe, with cheerleading prior to that. There's a history going on there, and it's got to be addressed. And how much more fallout are you going to have? And you're putting all this effort into bringing in a new stadium. You know, people say you got to clean up your own house first before you move on and do uh, something like that.
0: That's a good way to put it. Uh, Let's turn to something different, Angela. New allegations against a Chicago Park District lifeguard that resulted in his firing. Uh, This is a story from our colleague, Dan Mehalopoulos. He's been keeping close eyes on this department, as we know, for the past couple of years so what did he learn about this latest lifeguard firing?
1: Yeah, uh, this came out of an a, a Inspector General report that we learned that this uh, lifeguard had actually already been fired for allegedly inappropriately touching a girl who was participating in a parks program. The investigators for the park district found photos of one of the alleged incidents showing the lifeguard sort of grappling with the victim, trying to throw her into the water and she you know spoke out and said it made her uncomfortable so they investigated and uh the lifeguard was terminated from employment what what i think is interesting about this however is that when the park district was is supposed to be you know training individuals we you know dan Melopoulos, mm-hmm. as you mentioned did an, an incredible investigation into um wrongdoing at the district that yeah. resulted in Uh, charges being filed, a conviction being um, obtained against a lifeguard who abused. So here we are a couple years later, you know, there's been a turnaround for the administration there. There There's protocols and reforms put in place, including training of lifeguards. And when the IGs looked at this, they found they could not find any records of this lifeguard being trained. And so they're now going back to the Park District saying, you've got to take care of this. You've got to take care of the training, make sure that you're logging it. And so the, the Park District has promised
0: to do so. A Southside church got good news this week, Christian. It'll become part of a national memorial to Emmett Till. We know that his death uh, sparked the upsurge of the civil rights movement. Uh, What are the details on this?
3: Yeah, so Tuesday would have been Emmett Till's 82nd birthday. But of course, we know what happened back in 1955. And so um, there is going to be um, adding to that, Emmett Till uh, and his mother's uh, museum, they are going to uh, put an art installation there and also fix um, the outside of that museum as well. Some bricklayers have decided to donate their services to do that. And then it was just a big celebration, bringing community together um, in that neighborhood. Um, and right around that same time, President Biden announced that there's going to be three national monuments in mm-hmm. Illinois and, of course, in Mississippi where all this happened um, to mark, uh, you know, this devastating mark in history that helped to really ignite the civil rights movement um, at that time. So it's 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 a great way to remember um, it's just something devastating that led to some big change in this country, mm-hmm. especially for African-Americans, black people, and just civil rights overall.
0: Let's take a moment, folks, to remember a local legend in hockey, Rocky Wertz.
2: John, tell us about him. Um, well he's the son of the I was I don't know if his dad was the actual founder of the Blackhawks but no, he was the
3: owner forever. Thought the grand was it the grandfather that was the yeah, founder. They, I, <laughs> know, I think it was the Words um, um, family. Yeah, the, the Words family. family.
2: <laughs> and they they made their money in in distributing um alcohol and um you know um words distribution. So also in real estate. Um Rocky Words took over um from you know from when his father mm-hmm. passed away. Um and really did sort of turn the Blackhawks around. They ended up winning three Stanley Cups. Um, he also had a bit of a divisive um, you know end of his tenure. Um, there was this, the sex abuse scandal that really did sort of bring you know the Blackhawks back down mm-hmm. um, to where they're at right now, and they're trying to build themselves back up. But his death was a real shock uh, in the sports community. I don't think anybody even, you know it was a short illness. Nobody really, thought, you know, he was only 70 years right. old, yeah. um, not very old at all. Um, he was involved in owning the Sun-Times for a time. I mean, this is a man who really did sort of live uh, a full life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we will we'll be remembered mostly for his time as head of the Blackhawks and the, the three yeah. Stanley Cups. Yeah, A lot of fans change.
0: talking about just sort of reminiscing on how he used to sit with the fans and really, uh, you know,
2: was just a, a well, really you, warm guy. Yeah, if you remember... It, Before Rocky Wertz took over, his dad wouldn't let Blackhawks games be on TV because he <laughs> didn't think people right. would go to the games. The home game. he, I wouldn't, he wouldn't let the home, right. home games yeah. on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I home interviewed games, him when yes. I first
3: moved here, right? And, um, yeah, it was yeah. just amazing. Go ahead, right?
2: John. No, and then when Rocky took over, like within a days, like the games will be on TV, and you know, and it, it was like sort of a breath of fresh <laughs> air yeah. when
3: he took over.
1: Increased I, I, fandom allowed yeah, more oh, people
2: absolutely. to be introduced
3: yeah. to yeah. Rocky. I think he changed it. I mean, Taze and Kane came in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who weren't watching hockey before were watching it I mean you know I was watching it, I was covering it and I had no interest in hockey and I got the opportunity to sit down with Rocky Wurtz and talk to him yeah. and he was just an amazing man who had some vision and so yeah he will definitely be remembered by that because the city really came together for those three Stanley Cups and I don't think you'll you'll forget about them just like you won't forget about Jordan exactly. you know the two three-peats
0: well uh just a couple minutes left here so uh, of course there are always going to be a couple stories that get lost in the shuffle so I'm wondering if anyone knows of any stories this week that maybe didn 't get as much coverage as you thought they should angela you 're giving me a look
1: ah uh, just because this is <laughs> i I heard this on the radio yesterday. I work here at w b e z and I just thought it was both a delightful and interesting story. Uh, that the Chicago Public Library is is switching its museum pass. I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. I have always liked the idea of the mu- museum passes. You'd go in the library and you see one on the board and you grab it and you yeah. get you know you get free admission to some of the top uh, museums in the city. that can be hard to find and so. Um, uh, we had a uh, interesting story this week about how they're switching to an online program. Um, this was done by Adora Namagade. Yeah. And it's both uh, pluses and minuses for the program. Maybe more access. You don't have to go searching it physically to, at these places to find the museum passes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a question of just sort of, you know, you need to have digital access, be ready with a computer. and sort of changes the sort of tenor of the entire program, which has been sort of beloved for many years. So I thought uh, it was really kind of a small story, if you will, but it's a slice of Chicago life, about the things that
0: were provided. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just about out of time, but I'm hearing from the control room, aliens? Is there an alien story?
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, wasn't there an admit? Did they, they admitted to having aliens? I did see that going around on Twitter. The federal government admitted. I saw it on Instagram. Okay, so <laughs> everyone has as, homework to on do. The gram, as they say. Everyone has homework to sure. do. We got to look yep. it up. We got to we got to yeah. find out
0: what's going on with the aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the news we could fit in for this week. My thanks to the Chicago Tribune's John Chase, NBC 5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr, and WBEZ senior editor Angela Rosa O'Toole for joining us today. Thank you all. Thank thanks. you.